Bordy. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Legendary darts champion Andy the Viking Fordham is as much known for his dart skills as he is for being the larger-than-life British sportsman the UK took to their hearts. Darts has taken him all over the world, parties in Vegas, beaches in Australia, and many an hour in pubs across the land, which at one point saw him drinking over 60 bottles of beer in one night. He's a South East London boy born and bred, and this is exactly how I managed to nab him for a chat as we share the same local pub. Recorded in the Royal Standard Pub in Blackheath, please welcome the truly lovely Andy Fordham. So here we are, we've got our landlord who switched the music down for us, and uh, there might be some noises of coffee machines and things like that in the background, but we can live with that. I can hear them now. You've got a cup of tea as well. So, brilliant. So, I have to confess that I don't know anything about darts. I've played a few drunken nights. I actually won a darts competition once <laughs> by accident. I just sort of had to fill in. So, you are, everyone, you, you are this sort of South East London yeah. born and bred guy. You're born yeah. here in Charlton. You still live here in Charlton. And I think that's one of the things that people really love about you is that mm. you've sort of stayed true to your roots. And I remember reading is that when, when you first got quite well-known and famous, that you found it quite uncomfortable. But, yeah, the first time I was in the... In the um, it was called the Embassy then, and I got to the semi-final, and, um, and it was just... I mean, I was walking home. We lived in the Woolwich Dockyard then, and from little kids to old people coming up and saying, oh, we watched watch this and all that. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm not... I don't go looking for fame. I'm just not that way inclined. I mean, it's, it's lovely. People might want to talk to you, I mean, and, they're, and they're friendly enough and polite enough. I've never had a problem with that. And I've met some lovely people over the years. We're very lucky. But have you met some arseholes as well? Yes, without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the darts industry or in the, in well, the sort I, of fame I don't, I, bit? I don't like sort of interviews and that. TV, I, I, I mean, I just don't like TV. They say about me and your heroes and all sometimes, and there's some people I wish I hadn't met on TV. Some heroes? I guess you can't sort of name names. Not really, no. no. Uh, I mean, I can name I mean, a couple that have been brilliant, Anne and Dick. To the nicest fellas I've ever met, Johnny Vegas. I mean, when I was actually drinking, it, it couldn't have been better for me. We had such great times. It was, I mean, it, it was fantastic. I can imagine going up drinking with Johnny Vegas is quite a good laugh. Yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> Tell me some wild memories that you have of going out with Johnny. Well, when we did um, a thing called the Celebrity Darts, and I had Roland Rivron, Vicky Butler Anderson from Fifth Gear, Keith Chegwin, who's an absolute gentleman, one of the nicest fellas I've ever met, and Johnny. The crew was there, and the producer said to me, like, they're getting there about half nine, ten in the morning, so we're going to try and keep Johnny off the drink. So I'm like, oh, OK. So he comes walking in the door, hello, everyone, is I mean, he oh, Johnny, you all right? Do you want a drink? And I thought you just told me not to anybody, so he starts drinking, right? So now they're having a practice and what have you. And then suddenly I've heard, yes, yes, I'm focused, focused. That's my northern accent, by the way. So I went down, I said, what's up? He said, oh, he said, the treble's massive, the balls, he said, I'm eating everything. So I said, right, I said, how many points you had? He said about six, seven. So I said, right, so you roughly know you're, well, about <laughs> 45 minutes later. And I went, no, no, no. So, I said, my focus is gone, it's gone. I said, he said, all I can see now, he said, is a box of abandoned kittens. I went, what? And he went, it gets worse, it gets worse. I said, what do you mean it gets worse? He said, they're not getting on. <laughs> and that was just him all the way through. He was just, well, he had the pub in fits. He, he, he left about 11, 12 o'clock at night. He's, I mean, I love him. I, I mean, Johnny's a great bloke, great bloke. But you, uh, drinking was like a big part of it, and darts and drinking, you know, does have that sort of 
that that thing you know that uh, go hand in hand yeah unfortunately I went too far I mean that is and the spirits took over me a bit too much and I've ended up I can't drink at all now so it's you know, my own fault but I reckon one day I drank about 80 bowls of pills and, and then I went on the spirits after that that was before so, you got on the spirits yeah because I was a bit bloated so I had to go on the spirits yeah. could you uh, could you function after 80 bottles yeah. of lager when I, when I won the world championship I don't remember leaving the hotel I don't remember going on stage I don't remember getting a trophy we had a break I didn't know we had a break which is quite sad really I've seen it on DVD it looks like I had a great time but it is quite sad one of the I mean the best days of your life when you can't remember it so how did life change for you after that 2004 world championship well just drinking wise it just got worse everyone just wants to buy you a drink and and unfortunately I was good at it I mean I I mean you could ask Jenny my wife I mean she's we've been together 40 years and I mean I was never a violent drunk I mean falling over drunk it's just more or less a lot of the time people didn't even know I've been drinking I could still walk around I'm not proud of it it was just it was just one of them things and then unfortunately it just carried on and on and I played um, Phil Taylor what I don't like at the Circus Tavern and more or less near enough collapsed on the stage and that was that was the first big warning I had and stupid enough I didn't take a no 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 it's, I was going to call an ambulance and I, my mate said no it's okay so I'll take you to the to the hospital so we went again in his car and I ripped my trousers right around from my crutch to the back of my arse so I said to him don't worry about that I said just take me home and then I've actually gone home sat at a bar watching a replay drinking carried on drinking and, and so it just shows when how stupid I got in the end so hang on you've got a bar at home you had a bar at home well we had a pub a pub called oh, the Rose in Dartford of course you had the pub at that point yeah. yeah so that is a real occupational hazard isn't it I mean obviously it's quite good because you, you're in the pub and practising darts but it's a bit of a hazard when you're trying to avoid the drink well you say practice I didn't really practice much to the truth so. <laughs> but you were good you won the world championships that's amazing yeah. when I first played I mean I first started you couldn't get me off the board but then afterwards I mean when you you do your competitions you do your exhibitions and that and, that, and that's sort of sort of the best practice I was getting so let's talk a little bit about travel like I said I don't know that much about darts I imagine you're travelling all around the country for tournaments I know there's this big famous lakeside place that I hear is not the shopping centre no a lot of people have thought that yeah. but it sounds like an incredible place to be a really incredible yeah. atmosphere and are you travelling internationally as well for, for the darts yeah all over time? Europe I mean, all over them and then I was lucky enough I got picked for the England World Cup team so I mean, I've been to Australia twice Malaysia South Africa Switzerland, I think, was my first one. I mean, to represent your country, just a, I mean, a normal, like the 12-man team, and then get picked for your four-man team, it's, I mean, it's just been, I mean, it's been great. And, it's, and uh, I mean, I've been lucky. I mean, if I did the long journeys, like Australia, I mean, we had a week more or less going out for the darts, and then Jenny would come out and meet me, so we'd have another week out there. I mean, I, I liked Australia. I mean, I called it the land of the free bees. It was like barbecue, beer and birds with desert out, but... I don't know going to... Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> barbecue, barbecue beers and birds, birds that, that do, do what they're told. Do you think well, the Australian birds do what they're no, told? No, well, there was, uh, there's a, a bloke that used to play for Australia, a bloke called Don Reynolds. Funniest, he's one of them people when he speaks, everybody just sort of listens because it's just great stories. And his wife, Pat, he used to call her Pat the Rat. And, uh, <laughs> but um, they had a shack down by the sea. One, one afternoon, we was all sitting down there. All the women were in the shack, and we were sitting around like a. We'd had a barbecue, so it was still going. We were sitting around, out the men. And they get like a stubby older for the beer. Suddenly he just whistled, right? and she's come walking out. So, what's the matter, love? Now you've got me Australian accent, now, so I can do love. He said, I need another tinny. So she goes over, goes over to the Hesky, keeps it cold, takes it out, 
takes the old can out, throws that in the bin, gets the new can opens it, puts it in his stubby old, and anything else lovely went, no, I'm fine. But I thought, I'll have some of this. <laughs> so I've sat there, give it a minute, and I went, and Jenny Mollis told me where I could go. So I said, uh, I'm just letting you know I'm going to give myself a drink, love. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that sort of, I've been to Australia, I haven't been asked to get anyone's beer, but I thought that whole, you know, chuck another prawn on the barbie, oh, fetch yeah. us another tinny thing was a bit of a myth, but it actually, you've seen it Martin Fish Morris, who used to be live as an MC, he was, he was, I mean, one of the funniest, nicest men I've ever known. He was out there early to arrange things, and he took him for a barbecue, and he, to wind him up, he got, he, he got a couple of prawns and threw them, just threw them on the floor. And he said, what are you doing? He said, well, that's how we cook them out here. He said, get that out. I was just trying to wind him up. And mine being mine, he took it all in. So, so what, is the, uh, what was your first trip abroad, and was it memorable? I went to Spain with my mum and dad when I was younger. And then we went to um, Cyprus. Cyprus was nice. Nice, all the other kids now there. But uh, my first trip abroad... Oh, America, probably. My first big trip abroad, yeah. I was really nervous going out there and... And then after about five days, I'm sharing a room with a, a fellow called Tom Kirby from Ireland, really nice man. And about seven o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. So I, heard, I thought, I just turned over, so Tom's answered it. He went, oh, yeah, hang on a minute. I said, Andy, you want something? I went, hello. And it was Jenny. She went, oh, you're still alive then? I went, I didn't know how to use the phone, love. <laughs> so you've been in America five days yeah, and not found your life. What are you doing? So you're playing darts in the... Daytime, going out at night, or does it just go on forever? And it's, it's, um, it's, it's different. We went to we went to LA for a tournament there. Then we went to a place called Laughlin, which is just all casinos, and it was brilliant. It was two hundred and seventy-five dollars for four days, three nights, and, and it was all like VIP, and that was for two of you. So my mate come along with me, and he just literally walked up to the bar. I could have ordered whatever I wanted, and just give him a dollar tip, and it, I mean, it was great. And then we went to Vegas. Well. I like Australia, but Vegas, I think, is just somewhere everybody's got to go once in a lifetime to see, because that is just one of the most amazing things ever. I mean, this was 1994, and we stayed at the Sahara, and um, when we flew in, it was dark, and it was like, you couldn't see nothing, and suddenly there was just this light, and then you flew in, and it's just, I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing place. I, I love Vegas. Tell me some of your best Vegas memories. Well, honest and truthfully, just all of it. I love, I like Michael Bublé, and I was very lucky. We stayed in the MGM a few years back. We got tickets for nothing, me and my mate, and went in. And so, I mean, to see Michael Bublé, and that's, that's one of the highlights of my life without that. The, the shows, the foods, yeah, the, yeah. the drink, the hedonism, the because yeah. you're in the hotels and you have no idea what time no. it is because there's no daylight. No. You can party all day and all yeah. night long and not be aware of what's going no. on outside. Yeah. See, I'm not a massive gambler. I mean, people think I'll stray away, but it's, as you say, it's, it's just an amazing place to go and visit. There's in the New York, New York hotel, there's a uh, bar called the Piano Bar. And there was um, they got the two pianos together, and there was an American and a Canadian, and they and they used to just compete against each other. People used to go up and give them like sort of ten dollars, play this tune, and then go up to the the American and say, "Give him ten dollars." No, you play this tune, and that, is, that that was one of the best days I had out there. I mean, it's just that, that no matter where you went, you you guaranteed to enjoy yourself. It's just a great place. Yeah, I love Vegas like that. I've been there a few mm. times actually. In fact, we got married. Uh, no, we didn't get married there. I went to a friend's. I went to a friend's. I got engaged there. Oh, right, okay. And my friend, it's all a bit of a blur. My friend got married there by 
Elvis in the little chapel of the east or oh, west yeah. or whatever and that was just brilliant there were 25 of us flew out from London but I did get engaged there and we were trying to find an engagement spot like the top of the Eiffel Tower or yeah. a gondola or something and we got it got so late that everything got went closed and it was just you know it got so late that everything was closed yeah. and in the end we just had to do it in a bar they do drive through weddings now don't they? they are yeah they do all sorts but I remember we, we went to uh, we said to the waitress like we just got engaged you know this is amazing we've been together 10 years you know we were a bit reluctant about it and uh, she was like yeah you know you and everyone else we're like oh. yeah, lovely yeah <laughs> I was with Jenny for um, 20 years we was engaged before we got married and someone said to me why, why did it take so long so I said well I had to wait for the kids to come along see if they liked her <laughs> and also what's our, our line is uh, I don't want to rush into anything but that was it yeah. but that was 10 years so you told me something about a, something on a plane in Vegas well I, did, it was, I was coming home and then I was taking water tablets at the time and I was lucky enough to get a seat on the plane in the emergency exit right by the window I'm sitting there by the window at the beginning and, and then suddenly I looked out the, I see this movement I looked out the window and there's this bloke on the wing so I thought oh, hell, what's he doing right? and then there's a bit of commotion and, there's, and then on the other side as well so people are all getting a little bit up or something and in the meantime I've gone to the aisle seat because I know I'm going to go up and down the toilet so uh, next thing the captain's come on and he went uh, ladies and gentlemen he said you'll see there's a bit of activity out on the plane in a minute he said, the crew that brought the plane in said there was a lot of juddering. He said, but uh, they're out there now trying to fix it, trying. Right? And then he, he said, he said when, when we get going, he said, if it carries on, we'll go to the nearest airport, he said, and we'll just transfer to another plane. So I'm thinking, well, what the... Uh, why don't you just... So next thing, right, the bloke's sitting in the corner, calls the stewardess, and he says, uh, is that a crack in the wing? And I'm looking, right, and he just... So she, and she went, oh, I'm not sure, I can't get the captain, right? <laughs> so he comes up and he looks straight at me and he goes, right, where have you seen this crack? I'm like, not me, him, him, here. And he looks out and he went, he said, there's nothing, he said, That's how the, it's just part of the design. So he goes off again, he comes back on, he went, listen, we're two former um, US air pilots. He said, we wouldn't take this plane up here, we didn't think it's safe enough. And, and I'm sitting there and all I'm thinking is, why don't I just get off? Yeah. And then for you know, you're up and gone. And the other one was from City Airport. We're all sitting on it, now them fucker 50s. Yeah, go on those guys. And we're sitting there, the propellers are going, ready to taxi out. And suddenly just died. And the captain comes on and says, um, unfortunately, one of the, the, the gauges is showing something wrong with some hydraulics or something, or whatever he said. He said, we'll have to get you back in the terminal. We said, we'll probably get another plane. He said, sorry about the delay and all that. So the next thing, the door opens and this bloke gets on, goes into the captain, goes to the back of the plane and opens the door. And he gets a cloth out of his pocket and he wipes the top, wipes the bottom, shuts it, opens it and does this about three times, shuts the door, goes back into the captain, gets off, they shut the door and now we're going. So he's fixed the plane with a rag. <laughs> and I, I mean, again, what am I doing sitting like that? I, mean, I know, you think... You can release out a toolbox, make it look good or something. You oh, have those goodness. moments, don't you think, why am, I, why am I not getting off? Why am I get, and yeah. then if you did get off, you'd feel like an idiot. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then if you did get off and something happened, you'd yeah. be like... That's it, a premonition. Yeah. Oh. I'm actually a nervous... For someone who travels a lot and used to travel a lot more, I'm actually a really nervous mm. flyer. And I go through all sorts of mental rituals when I'm queuing to get on. I look around and think, you know, I don't necessarily believe in God, but suddenly I'm thinking, well, God wouldn't kill all these people. I'm thinking, well, yes, he would. Yeah, know, <laughs> Even if I don't believe in God. We know one good way, because everybody goes, oh, I've had about ten flights, I'm due a bad one. Yes. But... A lot of them people could be their first flight, so they're not due a bad one. Oh, so, God, now you're messing me totally. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, they say it's the safest way. It's, I mean, if the engine stops and it goes straight down, you know you're in trouble. Yeah. Apart from that. But that doesn't right. happen, does it? I don't think that ever happens. Tell me that doesn't happen. You don't know. I don't know if they're shot out, no. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, of course, too. But you're right, it is the safest way to travel. Yeah. You're far more likely it's to. It's just because you're not in control. In I mean, there's just so yeah. much in between you and the ground. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't want to think about it. You know, when you've got turbulence and you're thinking, like, it's just like being on a bus, it's just like being on a bus. Yeah. And it sort of drops, like, bus never does that. No, no, yeah, we, we went to. Um, I'm a Glasgow Rangers sport. Oh, yes, uh, yeah, you are. Yeah. And we went to um, Naples. I'm good friends with the, the former goalkeeper, Andy Gorham. And we was going out, and for about two hours, it was just bumping everywhere. And we had four seats together. Jenny was over by the window, and just she don't give a monkey's Jenny. She's asleep. And we got the, the TVs, and we're trying to play poker against each other. Well, you're trying, and we're turning it off, doing this, and that's about two hours. And, and that's oh, I'd stop drinking. I was going to say you can't drink no. your way through it now, can no, you? I used to get to the airport about four hours early. I mean, and I'd fly the thing afterwards. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think like getting to the airport early is like a big part of it, you know. Yeah. So you can sort of join in that holiday thing. But flying's not not like it used to be, and that's no. it. it's a bit like that all the high security and everything is a bit of a pain, isn't it? Yeah, you say that. Would you it's rather? It's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I mean, I, I can't see a problem in I mean, getting there people an hour earlier than before, making sure everything's all right. It's, I mean, people assume money. Oh, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? So they try and do stuff and then get moaned at. So you were famously on Celebrity Fit Club, as yeah. they call it, and not Fat Club. I no, no, call no it. Fat Club. I, I think everyone <laughs> calls it Fat Club, don't they? But it's not going anymore. So I really liked no. that. I really enjoyed it. I must admit, I was very, very nervous going on it. Didn't realise how, how unfit I really was, but quite enjoyed it in the end. There was a few things on there. He read out of Ken Ball, is it? Yeah. He accused me of spiking his drink, which could have got me in quite a lot of trouble. With what? The TV company paid for your meal, but they wouldn't pay for your alcohol, which is... Anyway. Me and my mate Steve, we was there, and I said to him, if you're on your own, do you want to have, have a meal? Yeah, lovely. So you sit in the bar, maitre d' as it comes out, what do you want to order? You just sit there. So we've had about two drinks waiting next thing, they come and get you, and you go, and he's on red wine. We go in, and he's had another about three or four glasses in the restaurant bit. We've come out, and I'm bad. I mean, I could see him slightly getting tipsy, and I can't, I just, <laughs> I just started getting a little bit more tipsy, so I was getting him, like, to drink quicker. And then the next day, he was supposed to go out to do the fit club itself, and he, he didn't, by all accounts, he was, <laughs> they went to his room, to look, get yourself to all that, get there, so right. So he left, they left one of the girls outside, and after about 20 minutes, it, it had this scream. So Harvey's like, and he, I mean, he is a very, very fit man, he's like a gazelle, he's gone upstairs, <laughs> and she's shaking, what's the matter? She said, I heard a noise, she said, I turned round, she said, and there was this <laughs> bloke standing with a big black bag over his head, with the glasses on, because he wore the glasses, and Bowler Council just put his arms in the air like ET, and went, woo! Like that and run down the corridor. The final life, however, but then he disappeared. No one see him. So the following week, or it was two weeks, whatever, but in between, he'd put in a newspaper that Andy fooled him and his minder had done something to his drink. So I phoned him up. And I said, Listen, I'm the licensee of a pub. I said, You could have get me in a lot of trouble there. I said, I'll never ever do that to nobody. And we go to the next one, and I see him. I looked at him, I went, right. He went, I'm not talking to you. Uh-huh. And I thought, Oh, right, okay. And then he came, he's supposed to bought out his receipt for the from the hotel and he said if you look on there he said there's 27 white wine spritzers which I was drinking and he said there's only five glasses of red wine so I thought yeah go on carry on so he, and the next thing they said Andy about defending yourself I said, from what I said what about my receipt I said all the red wines is it on that well I don't know about it well you should, you should can you ask me this I said you should have asked me and then they just kept on them. and in the end I just got up said you can shove this sharp in the backside. 
and I walked off. I had a drive Trevor, I think, and as you're walking out, he's over the other side of And all the drivers are together, and suddenly they all looked and see, hey, there was uh, Trevor getting that car, we're going. I had the mic off, took the mic off, threw him the mic, went, go on, you can shove it. So next thing I know, the doctor, Adam, and Harvey are in the car with me. Calm down, calm down. So they took me to the hotel for a drink. <laughs> And they all calmed down a bit and went back. And then, the, and then there was the final show after that. And I said, if he's there, I said, I'm not. I said, I can't. They did. They said, but we'll get rid of him because we don't really like him anyway. So, and he, and he went, but... Um, was that on camera? I can't remember. Was that, was that kind no, of No, they was filming it. But I said to him, I said, you show people they went, we'll cut it out and all that. I said, but all these people in there, I think, I mean... I spot some drink. I said, my, my kids go out and I make sure they've got enough money. If they put their drink down, they get a different one. I said, because it's just so dangerous now. And also, what would be your motivation? It's ridiculous. Uh, it's clearly no. off his I didn't need to spot his drink. Couldn't no, drink so no. Mm. Louis, it was the guy with the plastic bag over his head. Yeah. <laughs> but I met some nice people, Paul Ross. Yeah, Paul, Paul Ross, Ross was, was my first ever guest on the oh, podcast. Yeah, he's, he's a really lovely guy. Very funny man. I mean, I've gone really well with Paul. Yeah, he's really, yeah. He's really sweet. He was, uh, I worked with him at Talk Radio. So where else have you been then? Do you like to travel, generally? My favourite place, Tenerife. I mean, I've got a lot of friends out there now. It's just, I mean, I haven't been for a while. I just love it. I mean, Jenny used to go and do the shopping. I used to go to a few of the like, bars and that. And then we'd just meet up in the evening and have something to eat. It was perfect. I mean, she liked to shop, I don't. So trouble was, because as I say, I mean, when I was drinking, the, the day before we was coming home, I had to go round all the bars to see if I owed them any money. Because like, over here, you pay as you go along. Over there, it's like, you just, and suddenly someone, I'd be with someone, i say, I'll come down this pub and that. So you just get up and go. But lucky enough, they knew. I mean, I'd be back and then I just went around the pub and paid them all. But it's just a great place, I mean, the atmosphere. And we used to stay in Christianos. And if you, I mean, if you wanted a bit of a crack, you'd go down to America. So when you've had enough, you go back to Christianos. And it's like, we're quiet a bit, isn't it? And you, so you could just relax and have a few drinks. And it was just great. I mean, I love it. I, I mean, I really want to go back there quite soon. But, uh... do, you, uh, do you find yourself, you know, it's June here and it's raining. And I grew up in Spain and go quite a lot. And sometimes I think... Why the hell am I living there? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I mean, the money's not like it used to be with me now. I mean, at the time, I probably should have done some bits and pieces with property, but I didn't. My sister's got a place out in uh, Mercia. I'm going out there soon to get some new teeth. My teeth are all <laughs> quite disappearing. Get some uh, more teeth. Is it cheaper there? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. And lucky enough, she was talking to the bloke. He's Danish. He knows who I am. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, you had, well, you've had a couple of major health scares. You needed a liver transplant, but then your liver recovered, am I right? They rushed me in on, on the Thursday. Uh, they phoned you up, the ambulance is coming. And I was, I, I was really surprised. I was really calm in the ambulance, letting them do what they got to do. They got me in, and they must have had about, you know, like little pots, they take the blood. There must have been about 30 of them. And she's getting all ready, and she's just about to start doing it. And then her bleeper went, so she goes off on the phone and comes back. And said, oh, one of the consultants is coming up to see her. So she came in, really, I can never remember her name, but really nice lady, was nearly crying. She said, Andy, the liver they've got in the surgery that they're preparing is not going to be suitable for you. So I went, listen, I said, you said it could happen. I said, like, that was the Thursday. So on the Monday, I had to go every Monday for my regular appointment. So I went there, they took me blood again and all that. They said, you're at the top of the list and where was I? I get a phone call about four o'clock Monday afternoon. It was a doctor and she said, um, she said, your results are now come back. We might be able to put the transplant off. So I went, well, how'd you work that out? I said, oh, if Thursday, that liver would have been all right, I'd have been done. She said, no, well, my blood's gone the right way and everything else. So, so I said, all oh, right. So she says, you have to come and see us and have a chat. So then I had to go back and see Dr. O'Grady. He's, like, he's the main man. 
and he just said the way it's been going because I haven't drunk I don't do drugs or nothing like that it's sort of hanging in there he said so it's a long four so he said maybe three to five years I mean this was um, 10, 12 years ago now. oh that's amazing and so I mean I've had a bit of a scare recently so next time I go back I'll see what they say but, uh, but you had a stroke as well didn't you and I, a, I yeah, remember reading minus, that you yeah. had to learn to play darts again after that no it wasn't no, it wasn't so much I mean it was um it's, I talk very quietly now as well. I think it's part of it. My left leg is, is nowhere. I mean, I'm not, if I'm going upstairs, I can't just walk up. I need to hold on to something. So, I mean, I was lucky. They reckon if it had been the right side, that's where, it's, that's where the big problems happened because it was the left side. It, it, it wasn't spared. Does so, it give you a new lease of life surviving such things? It probably threw me the other way a little bit. I mean, I got very down. I'm just so lucky I've got someone like Jenny with me. I mean, she's just unbelievable. And people, I mean, race, I mean, I've got a couple of friends called Daryl Fitton, one of the dark players. We made Dave Stevenson. I mean, they, they've just been. And Ray Stubbs, who does the. He used to do football focus with the BBC and that. I spoke to him on the phone one day and he went, I'm coming to see you. And he came in and he actually got in bed and just laid there talking to me. You know, he just. I mean, lovely, lovely man. And when people like that, they slowly help you get back to going again. And there's a couple of the other lads, I mean, they said, look, come along to the exhibition, just throw a few darts, just get yourself going, get yourself a bit of money back. And, um, and then it just went on from there. So, it's good to have friends like that. I'm, uh, the pub's getting busier, so we've got a, I've got a questions from my listeners that I'm going to ask you, because everyone was very excited that you were coming on the podcast. So, a travel one. How does hotel living affect your performance and diet? And do you use the hotel as anything other than a place to sleep or just in between darts matches? It's just really in between darts matches, really. You know, people think that you see a lot of a lot of these places. It's literally you fly in, get to the hotel, which is normally quite late, and then you're up in the morning to the darts, then back to the hotel, something to eat, a few drinks with the lads, maybe go out to a pub here and there. But in general, it's just like you're just at the hotel most of the time. It's not as glamorous as you might think. No. And that was from David, and he also said, what's the most exotic place darts has taken you to? I went to Shanghai. That's pretty good. And that was just bib, 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 and oh, it's just a weird place. I mean, what, with the traffic? And oh, yeah, and the bikes, the push bikes. I mean, I see a bloke with, I don't know how many cardboard boxes he had on his push bike, it was just unbelievable. But um, South Africa, that, I mean, that was lovely there, we stayed in Durban, and it was, I mean, we was in uh, one of the holiday inns there, looking out over the ocean, and at three o'clock every day, you just see the whales going past, and at the same time going back, I mean, lovely, lovely looking country. It is amazing. Stuart Bailey said, ask him how he rates BDO darts players compared to PDC darts players, please. Is the gap between them growing in prize money and player performances? I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm assuming split, you do. Yeah, there's a split between the BDO and PDC starting. <laughs> he's probably not going to like what I'm going to say, but if you watch, if you look at the darts and watch, the triples and the doubles are a lot bigger on the PDC boards. I know the people were saying, right, and they're still tremendous players, don't get me wrong. But when you, you look at some of the BDO players who have gone over to the PDC and they've never averaged 100 in their life, never hit a nine dart, then suddenly, I mean, they're hit nine darts, they're averaging 108 averages. As I say, I'm not knocking them because they, I mean, they're great players, but I mean, I think it's a lot closer than people actually think. Lee Walker said, ask him, darts have taken him all around the world. What's the strangest place you've ever played darts? Strangest? Holland's probably been the best place. It's, I mean, the people are just so laid back and enjoy themselves. But strange, I've never really been to anywhere strange. What about, you've been to some really dodgy pubs, have you? I've been to loads of dodgy pubs, yeah. But you're lucky, I mean, it's, you go there and, and, I mean, I've been very lucky with sort of fans, if you like. I mean, I've, I've never sort of hopefully upset anybody. 
So wherever I've gone, I've always been treated nice. So You've never felt unsafe or threatened by anyone? No, not really. James Masterson says, ask him about his time as a major celebrity. Here he was, a publican from Thamesmead, with a side hustle as a semi-professional darts player who was suddenly catapulted to fame when he became world champion. That will have briefly transformed his life beyond all expectation, as Dave says, taking him to some expected, unexpected exotic places, and then it ended, oh dear, and you had your health issues, and then you've regained your old life. Most people sort of like the way I am, and that's because I don't change. I'm very lucky what I've done, I've been good at darts, and it has taken me to some lovely places and I met some lovely people. But I am what I am. I mean, I don't, I don't try and pretend to be anything different. Brilliant. Paul Beard said, ask him if he thinks Phil the Power Taylor will be the greatest who ever played the game. And he supports the Vale too. Great dark power. Yeah. Dickhead as a person. <laughs> but, um, I don't think there'll ever, ever be another Eric Bristow. I mean, Eric will always be my idol. Phil, I'd just stand in front of the dartboard and done what he done and still have the enthusiasm he's got. It's unbelievable. But um, Eric Bristow will always be the one that put darts to me because with PDC, without Barry Earn, they would probably be where they are now. Gabby Cancelo says, is darts worthy of a place at the Olympics if e-gaming is being considered? Now, that is very interesting. Yes. I mean, you look at, I mean people say, oh, it's not physical enough for darts. Rifle shooting. You lay on the floor, and the more rigid you are, the better you are at the sport. So how can you say that? It's, I mean, yeah, I don't see a difference between it. If one's going to be in the Olympics, then the other should be as far yeah, as I, I think it should be. Yeah, it's just the only trouble they'll have is with the BDO the or the PDC. Right. Given that the distance, he also says, given that the distance from the hockey. Yeah, that's yeah. Stand, yeah. The key to the board is the same, and the scoring system the same for men and women. Why is there seemingly a huge difference in levels? That's changing very rapidly. That is changing very rapidly. The women have upped their game so much, it's unreal. I, I mean, you look at Lisa Ashton when she played in the PDC World Tour, Anastasia. I, I personally wouldn't want to play against them. Honestly, <laughs> the game has gone up so much in the ladies, and, I've, and they deserve their places in some of these tournaments again. In so. But also, women are smaller, aren't we? You know, and it, it doesn't like arm reach have something to do with it, or am no. I? No, it doesn't. No. Okay, fine. No, yeah, you could have a bloke six foot seven. You could have a. I mean, jockey was about five foot. I mean, it's just, right. Okay, fine. Don't That's try and make question. excuses for women. <laughs> no, it sounds like they don't need it. it sounds like they don't need it. Uh, Tim Daniel said, "I would ask him how he dealt with travelling. Darts players have to travel far to play in ranking tournaments. I did it for a year, well done, and hated the travelling. It's more difficult if you have a young family, and Andy will relate to this, I'm sure." Did the travelling ever get too much here? Yeah, one thing I do I do regret is not seeing my kids grow up. I mean, I'm lucky now to have my grandkids and I'm I'm seeing them do stuff that I didn't see my own kids do. And sometimes it hurts, but lucky enough my kids understood. I tried to, it's, to sort of bribe them in a way when I come home. If I won, I'd give them a nice bit of money to go and buy themselves something, which may be wrong on one hand, but it's just the only thing I could do. You know, so I mean that's that side of it I do regret it, it is a lot of travelling and you do miss out a lot of home life a lot of dads that do long hours and mums that do long hours you know feel pretty similar we've yeah. all got that parent guilt thing haven't we unfortunately Ant Smith says do dart players end up running pubs or do pub runners end up playing darts <laughs> I, like um, I think sometimes it's an easy way out because I mean, I could not do a physical job now, unfortunately. And the, the pub life, people think it's an easy life, but you do need a strong partner with you to do it. 
Yeah, pub life can be hard. I know that much. Um, Mdad Ramen, who is actually a guest on my podcast, is a very wonderful man. He said, is the culture in darts likely to change in the future where we have modern day players who are leaner, fitter and have healthier habits because it's happened in other sports? He's heading that way, definitely. If you watch some of them there. I mean, the, the format's getting longer, and the, the, the lights. People don't realise you're on that stage. I mean, it, it's, it's it's hard sometimes. I mean, very very tiring, and a lot of the players now are a lot fitter than what they used to be. Oh, my friend Koss, who is actually he did your garden and he did my garden as well. Tall Dutch guy. Oh, right. um, are you going to make a comeback? I'm hoping to. I mean, I, I don't know whether I'll go back on the circuit or just try and do the exhibition stuff. I'd like to have one more go. I mean, I was, I was so, I got very emotional when I made it to the Grand Slam. I mean, that was just, I mean, everybody was saying, oh, he's finished and all that. And to get to there, it was just a, I mean, a great achievement for me. And, and I feel we're there. I've just got to sort a few things out and hopefully I'll be back. Do you have a dartboard at home to practice? Do you spend do, a lot of yeah. time practicing? And, um, at the moment, I'm not doing it because of certain reasons, but I'm looking at probably July to get really back into it and... Hopefully, hopefully you'll see me one day again on TV and not just doing the interviews. And what does that involve? Does that involve like practicing at home for a couple of hours a day? Yeah, and then um, but I, I feel the best practice is playing against people. So once I feel my arms going right, I'll probably go to my mate's pub and and start playing down there. I mean, there's my mate Andy Aikenhead in uh, he's got a pub in near Seven Oaks. I mean, there's a kind of lads in there and it's great and it's good for me to practice against them. God, I just imagine going into... I was so chuffed to see you in the pub here the other day. Can I imagine people would just faint with delight if they went into a pub and you're playing darts there. It must be brilliant for people to see that. My friend Tim says, and I think he's winding me up here, he said, does being a vegan result in him being ribbed by other dart enthusiasts? But I think he's joking. You're not oh, a vegan, are you? Vegan, oh, I'm really? Not, yeah. yeah, you're not a vegan, are you? Where's the most unusual place you've played a game of darts? Is there any foreign hotspots of darts, like snooker in China? That's from Mecca. One unusual place was on the roof of a building up London and it was very windy and they're trying to go to me there 180 I was lucky the, the dart was going in the board and the thing was they had a, like a, a marquee going over and then there was a little gap and then the dart board on the wall so it was like a wind tunnel <laughs> Yeah. It's that corporate gig. Yeah. The things you do for corporate no, gigs. They pay though, don't they? Steve Bunn said, could you ask him why he doesn't like Phil Taylor? It will be an interesting reply. It's a personal thing, really. A few people have asked, but it's, uh, he said some things he, he shouldn't have done. All right, we'll leave it at that, shall we? So you say that you don't have much time to like to you know walk around and explore the local area when you're travelling. Has there been any sort of standout times when you have had that opportunity? We went, uh, to Norway. Went to Norway. There's a lovely old lady there called Anne Hoff. She's an English lady, married a Norwegian. I think it was an army officer. Once the hospital had finished, she took us out up into the mountains and that. And went to this lovely little cafe, just sat there looking over. Just, I mean, the views was unbelievable. And she said about going to have a look at one of them ski jumps. I nearly said to do one. Well, so we off we went. But when we got there, I stood at the bit where they take off, and I looked down. Right, and that head of the eagle went so high up in my. I'll tell you what. And then they said, Do you want to go up the top? And I looked up, up the slope, and there's a lift that takes you up there, and you can just look down. And I just said, No. Before slipping down there and going, I mean, and it was mental, absolutely mental. And that was, I mean, one of the best trips I've had, I mean, because they say we don't normally get about. And it was great. I mean, she's a lovely lady, and, and um, it was me and Martin Adams went out with her. As I say, I mean, to see them jump, she watched one on the telly. But with any fast sort of sport, where the camera follows them, you don't realise how quick they're going. But to see where they come from and where they go down to was a, a very, very big eye-opener. 
yeah, I find it terrifying, the whole standing on slippy things, on a slippy thing, like snow, it's just, it's just yeah. beyond comprehension to me. I, I, I broke my wrist doing that in Holland. <laughs> Did you? Seriously? Well, oh my God, you do not want to break your wrist. Was it your, your right hand? In the right yeah. one, yeah, just before I played Phil Taylor. No. Yeah, I was with um, Martin Fismice and my mate Dave Stevenson. And it, it wasn't snow, it was uh, that fine rain. And the front of the hotel had been shut, and it was like a little wooden slope into this door. And as I put my foot on it, I was gone. And I fell, but as I fell, I sort of punched the floor. So, and my wrist is really hurting. So, we go to the room, Martin goes to his room, and I'm in with mate Steve in the morning. He gets up and he says, Can I break with something? No, I said, I'm, I'll get myself sorted. So, and my wrist is just throbbing. So, I'm going to have a shower, right? And it's like a tiled floor, and I thought, I can't slip in there now. And, and I could see the deodorant in there. So, I thought, make sure I bring it out with me. So, I goes in, as a shower, come back, plonk on the bed. And as I sat down, I was like, oh no, the deodorant. And my mate's bag was sitting there, and all I could see was right guard. So I thought I'd use his. So I've struggled getting my socks and pants and trousers and everything on, right? So I'm sitting there. So I've got this tin, I've just picked it up, and I've just started spraying. And as I've sprayed, there's just foam going everywhere. There's just shaving foam. <laughs> and as I've done that, the door's opened, and them two have walked in, and they just looked at me, looked at all this foam, and I just went, don't ask, do not ask. <laughs> But and you yeah, got no. a broken wrist. So went, I, I left it for play? about a week. I went. I was supposed to play in the World Dart Trophy. And I threw the dart, and I was aiming for the 20, and he was going down below the 19. I just, there was no strength in there. So they took me into going to the hospital. They'd done this x-ray. They put me on like a really thin table. I had a lady like Superman with my arm out, and that, that donut thing. Then the nurse came in and said to me, she said, I'm afraid he's broken. And the doctor came in, I said, so it's broke. He went, it's a bit worse than that. So what can be worse? He said, where you fell and punched? He said, she pushed it up, and you split the sides. So when I got home, I had to go to the hospital, get it all done. And they pulled it out and put two pins in the side and one in the top to then put a cast on. And then I had to go and get them taken out and I was petrified because I'm thinking... And my wife said the BBC was going to come and film it being done, but they wouldn't let them in because of whatever reason. So they give Jenny a camera and they called it Jenny Cam. <laughs> so, she's, um, so she's filming it and I've got my arm, I'm looking the other way. And then suddenly I heard clank. And these, I mean, they're about two and a half, three inches long, these things. I looked around and one of the pins was in this like little tray. I said, that's it. So I went, yeah, there's, there's no in your bone. There was no... And the only time it hurt, they caught me ears with the pliers where they had to twist it and they pulled it out. But it was, I mean, I was, it's amazing. And no and lasting effects? No, well, all the time it was broke, I just kept moving it. And then when it, they took the cast off and then I'd go and see the physio bloke, I was doing all the stuff that they asked me to do and he went, he said, when did you have it broken to cast and all that? I told him. And he said, I've never seen so much movement or strength. And that's just because I kept, I mean, sitting in the bar, strangely enough, just, uh, and just sitting there, just kept moving it up and down, side to side and all that. And it just, I mean, obviously made it a bit better. It took a while to get back again, but the first day uh, I had Sky TV in the pub the night before I played Phil, I couldn't hear 20. And I'm playing in front of grand. And the next day it was all right. I got that drunk, it didn't matter. <laughs> Love it. Uh, there's one thing I, my, I'm going to ask you my last question in a minute, but I did uh, want to ask you about Jenny's welly boots because she yeah. makes Wellingtons, makes and designs Wellingtons, and you go around the festivals with them. Well, yeah, we've been to the, um, a couple of festivals, and every time we've been, it's been bright sunshine. But she's got these wellies she's designed, this, like, um, if we can put a picture on your site, maybe. Yeah, just absolutely, that, yeah. yeah. And uh, called Viking Jen. And, uh, no, they're good. Some of this absolute radio, Richie Firth and Andy Bush are going to wear them while they're out there. So if you look, if you see them and you're interested, just 
Get in touch with Jenny. There's a couple of sites we'll put on there. Viking Jen Wellies. I need a pair of wellies. I've been meaning to buy some new ones for years, so I will go on and have a look. And my last question is always about music, and I think I know what your answer might be to this, but maybe you'll surprise me, because I think that music and travel always go hand in hand. And if you had to pick one song that reminds you of your travels, of a memorable place and time of travel, what would that song be and why? Oh, God. I thought you were going to choose I'm Too Sexy, but you don't have to. Yeah, no, I, I, the reason I did that, we had to do a, a biography for me, is like me walk on tune. And so I just filled it in like a joke. I mean, why, why did you take up darts? Because there's drink involved. Why? And then all doing these songs, so I just put on there, I'm Too Sexy for me shirt, where I said Fred. And then everywhere I went, I mean, we used to get there, and it was when I was world champion, especially Holland, the places just used to be rammed. And I bet I had a car, and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's the man? And you, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome 2004 world champion Andy the Viking Fulden. And you go, I am too sexy, and I just put me head in my hands and think, why? Why did I do it? Uh, oh, that's brilliant, it started as a joke, oh, I yeah. love it, and everyone ran with it. Yeah, I mean, okay. just, I mean I've tried changing it a few times, but I've been, no, you've got to go back to that. So am I going to force you to have that, or can you think of another song? No, I, 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 I do, I'm a big Led Zeppelin fan, especially when I was coming back when I got to the Grand Slam. I was going to uh, have rock and roll. It's been a long time and all that. But uh, no, I got told no. So, so if I'm you too could, sexy. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make you stick with that. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. No, thank you for having me. Cheers. Thank you so much, Andy, and thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a nice review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm always happy to chat. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.